Welcome to a brand new season of Culture Matters, the podcast where we dive into the many facets of organizational culture. I am your host Subhu Kalpati. I am a talent, leadership and organizational development professional. My guest today is Krish Shankar. Krish got his postgraduate diploma in HR from the prestigious XLRI way back in 1984. Since then Krish has led the human resources function at firms such as Unilever, Bharti Airtel, Philips and Infosys. Krish is also the author of the book Catalyze Power Up Your People Ecosystem. In this conversation with Krish, we discuss key learnings from Krish's career over the last 40 years, the mega trends driving the future of work, and how leaders can catalyze culture transformation initiatives. Krish, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful, pleasure to be here, Subhuv. Where I would love to begin is um, you know, talking a little bit about your uh career right you've worked with um, several large organizations um you know mncs like unilever bharti infosys um and um, i'm sure the listeners would love to know you know looking back what have been some uh, key milestones for you any key learnings that you've had um you know maybe we can start there as uh, reflections from you okay well i think it's been uh, i'd say fairly lucky i've been fairly lucky you know in terms of the right opportunities you know, uh, across uh, the thing that i really value is the experience that i've got i mean uh, across the whole spectrum of hr mm. but more than that in different industries so you know i started off in manufacturing then you know fmcg 21 years with uh, you know unilever hindustan unilever and then uh, a seven and a half eight years with uh, bharti airtel in telecom and it was growing which is uh, very different um uh, then uh, infosys which is it services so you see i've, I've been across all the different segments i think the, what i've also found is in, in levers while i was there for about 20 odd years i also spent a few years running a business so i was a personal manager of a factory but mm. whenever the production manager used to go on leave i used to manage it and then I got an opportunity to go as the operations head of the business. Uh, those days we had an export business, so I, was, I ran that for almost four years. Uh, so yeah, so that th- that is again a great opportunity that I've had. So I think what what I've seen is um, in HR. I think my my learning is I think early on look for different experiences. Yeah, I think in the first ten years. i would say build a what what i would call as a as a wide and diverse cv that's the kind of that's my learning mm. uh, look for different experiences i also learned a lot from the two experiences i've had working overseas a couple of years in london with unilever and then another five years in singapore mm. uh, i think these are also very important because for me my whole mindset of how do you lead people changed after having worked in in the uk uh from from a india factory management it was all about control you know getting things done and you know etc mm-hmm. but once you went there you learned about empowerment a lot more so i think it really helped me change my own thinking so i think look for diverse experiences in the, in the first 10 12 years of your career uh don't just stick to one vertical i think sometimes i find people tending tending to stick with it mm. but move across look for two or three different verticals maybe two different industries or even if if you get a chance to work overseas it's good if not overseas work on projects and companies where you have something uh, where you get some different mindset the way you work so i think that's very important mm. i think i know when i look at any career uh, subhu i look at it as a dna of two strands yeah there's one strand which i call as the what you've done your cv the kind of experiences you've had which is very important 
And you want to focus on that in the first 10, 12 years because you ensure that you have that diversity, different experience to really build you. Yeah. Mm. The other strand of the of the of the career is what I call as your your leadership brand. Yeah. Your what legacy you're leaving. I think that builds in the background. You your own thinking about it builds in the background. But that becomes more important as you go in, you know, taking on more leadership positions, you know, as right. I say, the second half of your career. Mm. That comes more into prominence. Second half of the career, it's not about what jobs you have done. But it's about what impact you're leaving, how you're working as a leader. So you go to, but the foundation of that is built in the first half. Mm-hmm. So for any any person looking at a career, I think it's important that you build this DNA of the intertwined strands of the CV in terms of the different experiences you build, but also sharpen your own you know, principles of leadership. What legacy you want to lay? What is your edge? What is it that you're good at? And you know, think about that and build on it because that's. That's going to be very useful in your second half of the career. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I've learned across these different industries in HR is that while the basics of HR are, are, are similar, but I think the nuances when applied really are very different. So you cannot just go and say, listen, this works in this industry. I'm going to apply it here. It, it may not work. Uh, take an example, the focus on things like high potential and identifying leaders and succession really works very strong in a FMCG kind of thing may not work very easily in a in a in a mass scale IT services industry because you got to keep that in mind. Here it is more about uh, ensuring continuity of people, customer, client, etc. People would like to work with the same client for a long time, and that's also good for the business and their own careers. You can't keep moving them around. Right. So those are things that you got to keep in mind. So I think industry and the and the and the kind of things that you need to really work and be successful in the industry is very important. And that determines some of your HR practices, your culture, and I think you ought to be conscious of that. So that I think, I don't think there's one, you know, one thing, one best practice that you can apply across all uh, mm. doesn't doesn't work. And and I think the third kind of uh, learning that I would say is is that I think you learn a lot more from mentors and and leaders all around. Uh, and I think. Early on in career, I've I've found that I I really learned from the people who I was working with. You know, one or two years my senior, and they were the ones with whom I really picked. So the first two years, you learn a lot from your peers, and you know, and and that's the time you also have to have one or two good mentors where you talk about your challenges, etc. And as you grow, uh, I think it's it's important that you also build on on that part. Yeah, I think. Uh, expand your your network of mentors, network of leaders that you can go to, uh, and and keep uh, kind of learning from them. So yeah, I think those are some of my insights, uh, Subhu. And the last I would say is really I think the world is changing much faster than mm. it did during my career in the early part of my career. I think things are changing much faster. Uh, people's expectations are also changing. I think it's now more important that listen, you have to adopt a. The first principles thinking, you know, what you've learned earlier may not work. I mean, don't apply, try and apply what worked earlier now, but think again and, and say, okay, what, what should we do? I think that's something which I think you've got to be good at and refresh, yeah, because things that may have worked 10 years back may not actually work now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go back, you know, and the same principles of design thinking or, you know, first principles based thinking is something you've got to keep working on. So that you start looking at what is relevant, what is the, what is the outcome you need, and then work on it. So I think these these would be my insights, uh, you know, from from my career. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Krish. That's uh, insightful on so many levels. Um, I want to, um, uh, you know, ask you one follow-up question, Krish, which is that, uh, you know, we all undergo hurdles uh, through our uh, careers, right? Some of us are early in our careers, some of us are mid-career professionals. Um, so, um, you know, uh, again, looking back, um, right, any challenges that face that define, um, you know, the choices that you made, um, right? And how did you go about thinking uh, about overcoming some of those uh, hurdles or challenges uh, career-wise? Any insights to share there? I think... But there are many challenges. I mean, no career is uh, simple. You know, you go through various challenges. Mm. Uh, you go through tough business situations. You probably have times where you have a tough boss or, you know, some some people with whom you don't see eye to eye. You go through a situation where there is a leadership transition in a company where, you know, you don't know what is the future. So there is some kind of, you know, I mean, there's always happened some merger, acquisition, Divestiture, some reorganization. So there's that's another kind of uh, thing that uh, that one goes through. Sometimes you're not doing as well. I mean, you had one or two things you've done and uh, you failed, and you know you you kind of uh, uh, so that's also there. So I think I've had all of these. You know, uh, through my career, there've been lots of lots of ups and lots of downs, lots more downs actually. Mm. So I think you know if I if I were to just look at it, I think. What are some of the downs? I think first time, first thing is about, I would say you got to think about, look for experiences where you'll enjoy working. Yeah, If there you feel that, listen, I may not really enjoy this kind of work, then don't go for it. Early on in my career, I was looking at something and I felt I may not enjoy it. Going to an old factory to run industrial relations, I said, maybe something I may not be you know, cut out nor will I enjoy. Right. And I consciously said, I won't, I'll try and do something else. You know, I kind of took a risk and moved to a very different career. So that's, that's one way. So I think look for the right opportunities. Um, and sometimes there'll be two or three, but you got to make some choices. Yeah. But the principles on which you make choices, is that something that you will enjoy? You Will you learn? And are there good leaders? There? I think these three are very important. So if if it is a tough thing, but if you're working with a good leader, I think that will make up for it. So I think use these principles when you're looking at career choices. You know, sometimes you don't know, but it's good to work with people, leaders who you think you can really learn from and who will kind of add to you. You know, I think that that will help you through tough times also. So I think that's that's one principle I've used when I looked at uh, jobs around. I think the second thing is, you know, there is... You, you always go through a tough time. And I think, you know, I also went through a tough time where sometimes the business head sometimes questioned, you know, in terms of some of the HR things. And there were, you know, in some areas, we may not be seeing eye to eye. But I think it involved a lot, a lot of perseverance, a lot of showing your intention. Right. And I think when you show a, a purity of intention saying, this is what we want to really achieve and what we want to achieve is nothing different from what somebody else like you as a business leader wants to achieve, then I think, it comes out. So I think, I think what what I've learned is, you know, you as an HR, we've got to be completely apolitical, completely show the purity of intention and say, this is what it is. And when people see that there is that intention and there is, you know, that, that that's in the right, the right intent is there. And there are no hidden agendas or politics or agenda that you want to drive for yourself, then I think you will have much more. So I think that's the, the other thing that, uh, I've, I've kind of found always that are there. I think third is, uh, I would say, 
in 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 tough times where you know we went through some changes uh, even in in the last role that I went through in terms of leadership and you know various other things. I think you got to really stay true to what you believe are your your values and you know uh, and 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 continue with that you know and you don't have to. And I think people see if you're if you are kind of not playing to the gallery and if you're staying true to your values, I think that really helps. Mm. And it also helps for you to really have other interests because just one focus on your career or this is sometimes also not very healthy because if things are not going very well, uh, you know, you can get kind of, you know, under the pressure. So you would have two or three things that you can keep working on, you know. Something outside, I mean, like you, you know, do something which is like a pastime, like a podcast or whatever it is. Uh, be a part of some network where you can do, learn something. I think that really helps you learn even when you're going through tough times. Yeah, I right. think it helps you either contribute, learn, etc. So I think I would, I would just say whether it's in the professional area or in the community or in your family, look for two or three things that you can do in addition to just your career because you can balance, you know, you may go through tough times, but you can really kind of battle, the, the, the other thing will balance it out. So that's been the other thing that I've also adopted there. I think the last last kind of tactic or technique I would say is this, is that, you know, when you really look back through any tough times, I think you got to look back and say, listen, we've been through so many tough times. What did we do? You know, and just that kind of a reflection and say, okay, mm. you know, and that really gives you a little more energy and power to to manage the the other challenges there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think these, these are some of the things that I think uh, has helped me. And I think there are... There are many other things that people can use, yeah. But I think uh, I would say, you know, I've, I've tried, and and these are some things that I think have probably worked for me. Um, I want to shift focus a little bit um, and talk a little about your book, uh, Catalyze. Actually, talk a lot about your book, Catalyze: Power Up Your People uh, Ecosystem. Um, maybe a good place to start um, is, uh, you know, what prompted you to write it? Um, and I know it came back a few years ago, but um, wh where did the idea come from? How did you go about, uh, you know, wh what was the manifestation of that? <laughs> well, it was just, uh, I think, you know, uh, frankly, one of the publishers uh, spoke to me uh, the year before the pandemic, you know, saying, you know, we got your reference from Mr. Gopal Krishnan. He said, you know, and they and can you write something on HR? Uh, so I said, listen, I just uh, I'm too busy, I can't, and I, I just kind of gave it up. But I think as it went along, and I think they they kept in touch with me, asking me, thinking about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think during the pandemic, around you know July, August of that time, you know, when when things are kind of you know uh, when we've gone through the the peak of the stress of the pandemic, and but we're still working from home and not going anywhere over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, that was a time where I think I thought maybe, you know, I can start doing something like this. So I started writing around that time, around July, August of that thing. And it took me a few months. So it was all uh, some time to keep me occupied during those weekends in the pandemic with nothing much to do, uh, etc. Right. Uh, and also because this thing was there, somebody had asked me to do that. So that's how I kind of got onto it. Uh, and, you know, I think it's confluence of the, the the some some free time over the weekends in the pandemic really helped me uh, put this together so yeah and I, I had some thoughts on my mind saying how do I really make HR a little bit more contemporary because what's happened is we've all looked at HR but it's all been 
old textbooks and you know uh, and and consultant speak which are very much agenda driven right so i said try and get some of that and there are lots of new learning you know and when i keep reading all about positive psychology behavioral economics lots of new research mm-hmm. i said can we can we get and make it more contemporary that was that was my thought and that's how i i got to write this so one thing that immediately strikes you about the book krish is that Uh, you know a couple of things one is that you know you you've named the chapters very uniquely there are some names of very popular songs uh, made me nostalgic when i was also going through the, uh, the names of some of the songs um, before we get into the serious stuff right but, uh, are you a big beatles fan or what what prompted you to name the chapters that way <laughs> well i'm i am a beatles fan yes but i think these were all the songs which were the hits when we were studying in xlri you know in mm-hmm. the in between 82 to 84 and these are the one songs that used to play in our music room quite a lot uh, and i kind of grew up with these so i said why don't i kind of name some of these uh, through that but yes beatles simon and garfunkel are mm. uh, my all and eagles are my all time favorites um so i want to now dig a little deeper uh, krish uh, on you know some of the insights from your book to begin with i think you make a very important and fundamental point um, about uh, you know successful business leaders uh, the traits that need to have and it has to be a good mix of strategic business acumen uh, and um, you know they should also know how to get the best out of their people and it's about striking that right balance um, could you talk to this a little bit and you know why is this essential well see i think you know what makes a good leader and i i was been i've always been looking and i've looked at many leaders that i've seen across the company yeah across mm. many organizations i think the first is important is they should have that strategic acumen you know that ability to think strategically connect the dots that's very important otherwise you can't be a true leader mm. the second thing that's very important their own leadership style you know their style which is about you know getting people together you know putting out a vision you know and and getting their team getting their thing but that style actually impacts few people you know it impacts the 10 12 people they interact with it doesn't impact all the rest it impacts 10 12 people but the most successful leaders are the one who really know how can i really energize this whole organization or the whole thing and for that they got to think about it in in terms of using the hrs the people systems so it is not my personal style of leadership but how i really look at it and manage the system and that is very important so i think these three are there you need your strategic acumen you need your leadership style the right leadership style you no know, visionary coaching whatever but i always felt that deal that can help with that group of people with whom you interact the 10 12 people but if you're really successful you got to know how do i really get this whole people ecosystem everyone in my team organization energized for that they've got to really know how to get the people systems going yeah and that's very important and that was what i felt this book should do in terms of saying leaders here you are i mean you're probably great at strategy and you've got all that you know all that funda there you work on your leadership style that's something you keep on working but that's there but learn how you want to get the most out of your people systems yeah learn what are the things and how you can use that to really create energy get best out of your people everything so that's that's i think very important uh i want to ask you uh, krish about uh, you know right in the beginning of the book you uh, you list down these mega trends um right and there are quite a few that you list down and all of them are very interesting in and of themselves so things like longevity of large organizations being in question um shorter career spans we were just talking about it when we opened about how things are changing now uh, focus on skills impact of the gig work uh, workforce um so 
uh, question is, um, you know, have you seen any of these trends accelerate or maybe shift tangentially uh, since the book came out, right? Have you seen, uh, uh, you know, anything that's different or do you see more of the same uh, since the last couple of years? Well, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, it's quite an interesting thing because, you know, when I look at all these trends and this is, I was listening to Sam Altman yesterday mm. talking about it. Uh, and I think, you know, he echoed what once Bill, Bill Gates said once, you know. What happens is the change that that happens, you know. Sometimes we we kind of underestimate the kind of impact in the short run. Mm. Sorry, we overestimate in the short run. Thinking, oh, this is like, let's take chat GPT. The minute we came, we said it's going to change the world, etc., etc. But it's not going to happen that much, you know. There's this hype cycle and things. Like but in the long term, they make a big difference. Long term, as individuals, we always underestimate what change can do. So I think we overestimate in the short term, but underestimate in the long term. Because it's all the series of changes that build up. And that's what creates this whole transformation over time. Yeah? So I think that's what it is. Now, now take, for example, the, the work from home thing. You know, when I, mean, I was writing in the middle of the pandemic, there was this thought, listen, the work from home is going to be probably there to stay. People are doing, etc., etc. Yeah. But that's been like going up and down, you know. There are people who who want to come back and there's this clear thing about some employees still preferring, listen, I still feel I can work from home uh, because I can take care of many other things at home and, uh, and, and it really is a great value proposition to them. But organization feel, listen, maybe you're not getting the best out of it, you know, and therefore you need the teams to come together and maybe you, and therefore somewhere we're coming to this hybrid like two, three days a week kind of a thing. So I think that's there. But I think over time, I think with lots of newer technology and other things coming, that may accelerate and we'll see something coming in the in the, in the longer term. You know, the, the concept of how you work will change over the next 10 years. So mm. I think, you know, it's tough to say now, but I think it's probably going to change. Uh, I think there are some, some areas where I think we have not seen as much as I thought, you know, uh, in terms of this whole thing about... Um, uh, this whole thing about, you know, uh, this focus on purpose and this and that I thought was going to be bigger. I don't think it's as much as, as, uh, as you know, people want to do, but it's not that that's really been. I mean, you know, whether they join a company that is focused on sustainability or green. and I mean, all those things have gone. I thought mm. probably they'll become more important, but I, I personally feel they've not really uh, come there because people are saying, listen, what does it mean to me? And not really so much about it yeah and therefore there's a little bit of what i call uh they think this woke thinking has kind of stepped back a little bit right. also and right. i think people have now become lots more focused on a little bit in the business so that's one change that i think has not really uh, happened mm. i think in india the 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 generation and the change of technology is going much faster and we'll see the, the impact of that much more mm. uh, as we go forward um, I want to shift focus again just a little bit. Um, you know, in the next chapter, you speak about, um, you know, the sources of value, uh, right, which is talent, culture and reputation. Um, and um, I, I would love to talk a little bit about culture, um, you know, uh, uh, Krish, especially your notion in the way that you position it of HR being a culture and emotions architect, which was um, very unlike, uh, you know, earlier definitions of what HR might have been in the literature. Um, could you expand on that a little bit? And, you know, what do you mean by that? Okay. Hmm. I think I think you got to step back and say, okay, what makes one company different from the others or more successful compared to the others. Yeah? Mm. 
I mean, take two companies, they may be having the same technology, they may be having, uh, you know, all of that, etc. access to market. But the one that, the, probably the one thing that really makes one different from the others is the, is what we call as the right behaviors that are there. Yeah, the behaviors that make them successful compared to the others. Yeah. And what is culture? Culture is the behaviors that you see. Yeah. And I, I think if you can articulate saying, what are those behaviors that are essential for me to be more successful? And if you can get those behaviors practiced by all your organization, then I think you'll probably be more successful than any other company. Yeah? So therefore, that's the first step. I think culture is, you know, if I look at this whole culture aspect, uh, I think the the sometimes we are biased in one part of it. Yeah. And let me let me try and explain this. So again, if you look at, if I define culture, I'd say it is the behaviors that you need in the organization. And the behaviors consist of two parts. The first part at the base are the behaviors which I call as human values. You know, these are basically things like respect, inclusion, all of that, you know, collaboration. No company will say, I don't want it. You all need it. This is what people also want. If you don't do it, you won't get the right people. You won't be having people to work with. So that's that the base. And I think you got to, and I think these are all become now hygiene and therefore you got to really focus on one or two things that really make a difference for you and for your uh, organization. But the second part of the culture is the the behaviors that will make you different in the business. And this is where you got to say, listen, I want to be a company which is like completely on innovation or customer service or whatever it is. I mean, the example that come to our mind is like Walt Disney, which is, listen, this is what it is. And therefore, there, the, you, nobody can beat, you know, the way they kind of think about it and, the, and those kind of behaviors. So I think that's the other part of it. So I think if you define your behaviors right, if you build that culture right, then I think that will create a very strong uh, kind of competitive advantage that, uh, you know, many other things can't give. So that's, that's, that's why I think it's, uh, it's an important thing. Uh, Follow-up question here, uh, Krish, since you spoke about, you know, setting the right behaviors, um, right? So one is, of course, differentiating between your base values, human values, and then those differentiated behaviors that we want to drive as a business. Um, so what are some of the steps that leaders or organizations can take uh, to get some of these rolling, uh, right? So how, from the perspective of driving the right kind of behaviors uh, for the organization, is there a process, um, you know, as you've spoken about in your book, how how would you kind of define that? Yeah, I think this is something many people have written. Uh, and one of the great examples one can see now is this whole Microsoft case study mm. and Satya took over and how uh, he managed to transform it. Yeah, I think it's a clear, uh, clear and present example of how things have happened. But what can you learn from all of this? I think the first one is identify the behaviors that you think are going to make you different, that you think are important for you. Yeah, and therefore identify that. Secondly, once you've identified those, you've got to articulate it in a very compelling way. Yeah? yeah, And I think that's very important. I think I go back to this Microsoft and Satya's example. Mm. There's one saying, listen, we want to move from know it all to learn it all. You know, yeah. it's, it's a clear and compelling way of articulation, the from to or, you know, whatever it is that really makes people think about it. And, and one of the things that uh, my ex-boss uh, Sunil Bharti Mittal used to say, you know, and when when uh, telecoms was transforming, he said, "Listen, we are moving from war time to peace time." And I know that was a, and these are important in peace time. It's about building building a sustainable business. So I think it it helped people think about it. So you got to really put what you need and and the rationale for it in a very clear, compelling way. Simple, 
but people should remember and say, yeah, this makes sense. So that's, that's, a, that's the role of the leader. And once you've done that, I think the third one is really get the leadership to really role model it and behave. If the leaders don't al align or they don't behave, then all this will go for a six. Okay. How you get your leaders aligned uh, is critical. And all of them have to role model, not only the CEO, but their top leadership. I think you want to then follow that up with two key things. One is what I call as the, the right performance management system to ensure that people know you reward what it is, you know, appoint people, the right people in the right thing. So this whole talent and performance barrier system should be aligned to what behaviors you need. Mm. Uh, you can't say something and reward something in terms of different people getting promoted. So you got to ensure that you, you take your uh, thing on appointing the right people. And the last one incentives, you know, how you kind of look at your bonuses and other things. So I think these things, you want to align them, you know, align them to your, your system. So that's what I would call, yes, you know, identify the right behaviors you need, not only the, the basic human values that you want to reinforce, but also the ones that are important for your business to be transforming, be successful for the future. Articulate that in simple ways, you know, very clear, compelling, you know, in a, in a front two kind of a thing. Mm. Uh, get your leadership aligned, you know, the role model, get them the role model and you know, all of them have to do that. The, the 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 next point is really working your social architecture right through your performance management system and your talent system. I think two critical systems, who you mm. appoint, who you promote, how you look at performance. I think that's it. The last is your incentive. I think all these have to be aligned to ensure that the right behaviors are there in your organization. Sure, sure. Thanks, Rish. Um a, a follow up point actually it's it's a tangential point is um, you know on the point about people processes uh, you say that uh, it's important that the way that they are designed is uh, fair and equitable um, in an organization and how this is very important from a cultural uh, angle also um, right could you talk a little bit about that and how do how do leaders ensure that this happens uh, from a design angle yeah i think see if you look at the the biggest thing and this is the the behaviors at the base uh, you know, the, the core human values behavior. I think that's very important. You know, that really sets the base of what people can expect day to day, you know, in their interactions and, you know, uh, etc. I think if you look at the biggest cause of kind of angst amongst people is this whole lack of fairness. Yeah, it's saying, listen, am I, I should have got this, I didn't get it, somebody has got, you know, that kind of, thing, you know, performance management system. So that really creates that whole angst. And I think that's where companies have to really clear, make a profit saying, this is it, you know, this is going to ensure that everybody, you know, we're going to ensure fairness in the way our behavior, you know, the way people are treated in the way in the, what we expect from each other and we're going to be consistent. So fairness and consistency is very important. And I think that's what we've got to really establish. And there are various ways to do that, you know. And and I, if you look, read my book, there are different examples I've given. Yeah, the kind of practices that Amazon has, the kind of practice that many other companies have, who really ensure that you do something to build a, a base. Yeah. So I think the clear thing here is the simple things of justice. You know, in terms of you, you need that procedural justice, uh, but you also need people to see that the way it has been done is 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 right. So therefore, that's the other thing you need. But you also need that whoever is appealing, appearing, they also feel treated well. So that's also important, that interactional justice. So that's mm. also important. So I think you need all of those. It's not that sometimes it's victimization or, you know, people feeling, why should I, if I do this, I will. Those things are all 
you know uh, in the end somebody may get justice but if there, this is not seen right then people will not really accept it so i think you need all of that uh, to ensure uh, that people feel fairness you got to have various other processes you got to ensure the, the the things like whistleblower anybody complains treated in a fair way there's a right process they don't feel victimized so i think all of those are there also for people to say what they want to say you know this whole building of psychological safety which is yeah. at the next level how do you do that in a team how do you train managers so that they can really ensure that how they and and here there's you know a simple practice that i've heard uh, recently is this fir mm-hmm. you know how you kind of formulate it and tell your team say this is what it is you know uh, how do you then invite responses and how do you then respond to somebody's kind of questioning or doing something so use that principle to really ensure that there is psychological safety within your teams so i think these are all the things that we got to build uh so to ensure that at that level people see that like this company is going to be fair company is going to be consistent i'm going to get what i you know the kind of behaviors that company said i'm going to get that so i think that's what we want to ensure as leaders uh, and as a char uh, take ownership and architecting sure sure thank you krish um associated point um, which really stood out for me uh, which i think is a principle that i also believe in which you called out in the book um is that inclusion precedes diversity right so b- before you go out and uh, you know do your diversity hiring make sure that the culture is supportive um could you talk to that a little bit like um, you know what does it mean for organizations for leaders and um, uh, you know any comments on that so i think if you just look at diversity there are various forms of diversity yeah and i think we we want in the end the ultimate thing is different types of people the different thinking who can come in yeah that's that's what it is so you want so that that's what will make your team better and as we go i think if you look at it gender is one area because that's more visible and that's more where you see differences quite stark yeah. uh actually in real world it should be a balanced thing we are not so therefore you see differences quite stark and that's something you want to set right first but also the, the, there are other things you may not see the educational background the socioeconomic background that people come from you don't see that but there also different diversity there i think you got to keep all of that in mind yeah? mm-hmm. and and why you want this is also important and you want this so that your organization can be better uh, yeah. can have different perspectives and work together to really create a better future <clears throat> so and and if you want this kind of diversity all across i think you got to build the culture for that and that's where you need at least the simple thing about people feeling included you know uh, this whole concept of from inclusion to belonging you know how do you really do that yeah uh, at the teams creating the psychological safety because people can feel the listen and again if you look at psychological safety they are at four levels yeah you started being uh, at a level where you are part of the team so you're just being included as a team so therefore it is feeling welcome to be part of the team then you move on to be at a level where you're a learner where you can ask questions and not be worried about it so therefore you can then you start over time to kind of question the status quo saying just why are we doing this you know and that's at the level saying why this is wrong and therefore you question the leadership and question the practices Mm. and that's the fourth level that you got to go to and therefore how do you really get teams really work at that once you start building this and the thinking around it then i think it becomes easy to get all types of diversity yeah and i think you got to set the set the kind of ground for time for this as we get diversity you know and and i think uh, ensure that 
then the diversity can really prosper. Because in the end, we want this diversity to really benefit us and not just, uh, you know, uh, so that, that's important. <clears throat> sure, sure. Interesting. Um, I want to, um, you know, shift focus just a little bit, uh, Krish, because you also talk about employer branding in the book, um, right? So while employer branding is, is typically seen in the context of talent attraction, but seen through a culture lens or employee experience lens, um, right? When the brand, uh, when the experience doesn't live up to the brand promise, it can cause dissonance in the minds of the people who are in the organization, right? And that can lead to, um, uh, you know, several other things. So um, question to you, Krish, is how do organizations tackle this unique challenge? On the one hand, you want to have a strong employer brand and get the best people in, but then it's always a constant struggle to make sure that the employee experience is living up to that brand promise, uh, right? So how do you kind of resolve that dilemma? Um, from your perspective? No, I think, see, the employer brand cannot be very diverse from what is your strength. So I would mm -hmm. always believe that, you know, if you really look at your organization, you say, okay, what are those one or two things where you are unique, where you've got some strengths, yeah, and therefore start building on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's important. So you've got to say, okay, uh, if I look at my organization, I think one of the strengths that we have is learning and the focus on learning and what we do. And therefore, then you build your core of your employee value proposition, your brand around it. Right. Uh, and I think you've got to keep that brand working, you know, and therefore, if you work out an employer brand and it is not delivered to people, then that brand won't work. So I think companies have to ensure that don't, firstly, you don't have to promise everything. You, you don't have to, I mean, no company has got the best of everything. You know, and you can't be also because then I think you're not making those choices. If, I would suggest as a company, you got to make your choices. Out of the 10 or 12 things that are important to people, you say, these are the two things where we will focus on because this is where we have our strengths. Yeah, I don't think any company can be strong on more than three or four of the eight or 10 attributes that people may be looking for. Yes. Focus on those and those you've got to deliver because you got to deliver uh, to be the top quartile of your, of your set. You can't be below that. So you got to say, okay, on these things, I will deliver. And you've got to work on it. Uh, see, we all know industry and businesses have the ups and downs. You can't always be there. But if the company, the employees feel that, yes, these are areas where the company is trying and it's making, and there are, uh, you can see that it is making a difference. There are these processes that are there. I think they will buy it, you know, and they, the employees also are quite balanced and commonsensical. I don't think they're, they also know what it is. Uh, uh, therefore, you have, you as, as the organization and HR have to ensure that your, the, the experience that is delivered to people is in line with your employer brand. Uh, and 100% you may not be successful, but if you see that there are the processes there that are going to make, uh, you know, and then the intention is there, and for some time you're not delivered, it's fine. I don't think people would manage, but you got to ensure that that intention, the processes and the focus behind it is there. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And this is where you want to, I mean, this is this is important. This is where you keep constantly surveying people, seeing yeah. what their expectations are, what they are seeing, what it is. And on those two or three things, I think you want to also ensure that the leadership team is aligned, saying on these, we are going to be world-class. These, we are going to know, and therefore they all align. So it's important that this whole employer brand is seen as a part of the strategy of the company. It's not seen as one more initiative of uh, employer brand manager, you know, sitting and doing something, then it will not work. 
Right. But it's got to be seen saying, listen, yes, this is something that we as an organization are going to bet on. We as an organization, and therefore it's part of our, our, our psyche as an organization. And I think then it will probably work. So it's also important that it is built as part of our uh, strategic thinking or leadership thinking and not just as one more. Sometimes we in employer brand tend to think that you put it out and it's a matter of creative, a few creatives and that's about it. Mm, mm. Then I think this is not going to work. So uh, you got to really integrate it to the to, to everything around. I want to touch upon uh, one or two more important topics, uh, Krish, which is, um, you know, you update this uh, learning model, which is, uh, you know, popularly called as the 70-20-10. You you make that shift and you say it should be now 50-30-20. It was very interesting for me to read, um, right? Um, Could you talk a little bit about the rationale behind this updated way of thinking about learning? What is that 50-30-20 in your mind? Well, it's not, I mean, I'm not making an exact science out of it, but I think it's more directional. And why I'm saying this is, I think one of the biggest things that is happening in the world now, a lot of new things are coming. Yeah, the world is changing so much that there are a lot of new things that you've got to learn. Uh, and therefore, and, and this learning is not going to come from just working in your job. This learning has to come when you take some time out, you go meet other people, you go do some mm-hmm. course, do something, you've got to bring that. Yeah, for example, AI. I mean, you'll have to go learn something meet the thing, understand from the industry and and then kind of do it. So why I made this change is that I think there are changes and the rate at which changes are happening are much faster. Mm. And these changes need us to spend more time looking out, learning, and then coming back and applying it. Yes. Therefore, while you learn a lot on the job, but you've got to take a little more time to say, okay, let me see what's happening. Let me do this course. Let me go and see. Let me attend something where you get from others. Let me learn from other organization mentors and then bring it. Yeah. I think you want to do, because of the rate of change and newer things, that, that's why I think you want to really do that. So again, the numbers are not as important. Yeah. Uh, I think the direction of change in terms of you can't, I mean, in the past, if technology and the way you're working is not changing, you will learn on the job. You've learned by doing, you learn projects, you learn this. But now I'm saying, while you do it, you probably need to take a little bit more time to step out and pick out what's new that's happening. Some new tech that's coming, some things on, and learn that, go do another course. Network, go to other industries, go to this, look at what is there, look at other people that you can learn from. And therefore, I think that learning from your networks of others, learning from outside the organization and learning from doing a little bit more on your own is going to be more important in the future. So I think they will supplement on the job learning. You continue it, but you've got to do a little more of me is what, what I see. Sure, sure. And just to clarify for people who are listening, and so the 70-20-10 is based on 70% on the job, 20% learning from people around you, or maybe even outside of the organization, and 10% is formal learning, right? So what Krish is referring to is having a lot more of those connects and, you know, the 50-30-20 is a model where uh, you shift um, focus from a little more from purely being on the job to also going out and uh, and learning from others. I think that's the point that you're making, Krish. Um, thank you uh, so much for that. It's a refreshing way to think about learning as a whole as an organization and also as an individual, I think, to reflect on it and see where you're getting your learning from. Um, 
last couple of questions before i let you go krish one is um, you know on the on the value of emotions i think you touch upon it extensively in the book it's a thread that runs pretty much throughout the book um, right and you focus on some very key um, emotions like compassion gratitude uh, pride and happiness and um, you know you also say why these are very important to uh, engagement um, right um could you unpack this a little bit uh, and how it links to um you know how uh, hr should be looking at uh, engagement maybe through the lens of these kind of emotions yeah I, i try you know what i'm what i'm what i'm looking at is when you look at your behavior mm. those behavior that that you want i mean when we spoke of culture in culture we articulate certain behaviors that you want those behaviors are also driven by emotions Yeah, yeah those behaviors won't come just in a very rational way but they also have got emotions and that's important for us to understand as organization that listen when you want employees to behave and exhibit some behaviors that behavior is not very rational that i do this you do this but there's also emotions i think that's at the core of all of this thing listen and that's natural and i think understand it and be and those and boy i mean for example if i want to if i am a new ceo who's come to really to really uh, in a turnaround situation for example yeah i mean take sapia's case or whatever it is you come here the business is not doing well you going to turn around telling people is not you got to give them the emotion of hope and optimism that's yeah. for them oh yeah and therefore they have to feel that emotion and that emotion and as a leader you got to say okay how do i build that emotion uh it's not completely rational but you got to do that emotion you got to talk about it. you got to talk about it. and that's again I'm, i'm going back to that example was much more you talk about your own experience you know satya brings his own life and his own thing and you say talk about it and that really connects with people and creates that emotion for them to really have that hope and optimism and change for the future yeah i think as leader you got to understand that This, this is important if you want to change you want to mobilize people you want to do it you have to have some emotions there yeah and and against every behavior there are emotions yeah and these emotions drive us and i when i look at it i think you got to we got to understand what are those basic emotions that as organization we want to build yeah while happiness is a core thing that we happier people happy emotion you will have this but there are other things that you got to really look at one of them is pride pride in what you achieve not just pride because of some status you got but if you authentic pride is what i call it if you if you can build that in the organization then i think people will go and drive more yeah for example you achieve something and you're rewarded and you're recognized and there's pride in the things like wow you've done it and you've got this mm. that is for lots more people to do a lot more yeah and that's the kind of pride that you got to build gratitude is a very important emotion to build collaboration all across i mean if you don't have that emotion of gratitude then people will become very mercenary and they look for you know quick pro quo and everything and that's not going to work right as an organization you want people to feel gratitude for the other teams that are there supporting you you want to feel gratitude for your members of your own team and you want to bring that out and that will help the team come together and that will that will help so i think these are uh, compassion is the other one which will help people really you know ensure that you understand show empathy and 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 empathy compassion together you know to to be better leader so i think what i feel is you know behaviors are not purely rational 
uh, they, there is emotions behind it. And if you want the right behaviors, the right intensity, you've got to ensure that there are emotions that are there that really make that happen. And as leaders and as organizations, we've got to understand it and build that. We do it, but sometimes we don't do it in a conscious way. You know, we don't do it in a conscious. And if you are, for example, many companies do this R&R kind of a thing. But if you say, listen, the objective of this R&R is to create an emotion of pride and gratitude. If you just define it that way, right. then you put a lot more into this R&R to bring that up. You know, you will not make it mechanical. You're saying, why am I doing it? I'm doing this, not only to recognize them, but help. Part of it is I want to create the emotion across my whole team of pride and gratitude. If you define it that way, you will you think about your R&R very differently and do it in a way which will really bring out those emotions. And that's what I think we watch. You open the book with, uh, you know, these mega trends which you just spoke about. Um, have you added to that list or, you know, is there uh, are there any additional elements of the future of work or the future of work of the workforce in terms of where we are going? Um, right. Is there is there something that you might want to leave us with as, as your parting thoughts? No, I think since then, the AI has made a big, big strides. You know, I've not yeah. looked at AI at that time, but with Gen AI and other things, you know, it's made big strides. I think that's going to in the next decade, it's going to be the single most biggest defining the thing about how we work. Mm-hmm. It'll change some of the things that are there. It'll change the way we work. Uh, and therefore, it, it'll probably make the people more productive. At least 20% of our productivity will probably increase. Yeah. And similarly, 20% of some routine drudgery work will change and you'll probably have some new work. So I think that's, you know, in that range. So that's one big trend that I think uh, is, is picked up over the last couple of years yeah okay fabulous thank you uh, krish it's been a real pleasure chatting with you thank you for taking the time and uh, spending the time with us on this podcast thank you it's a pleasure Uh the big aha moment for me in this conversation was that we need to reimagine the role of hr as a culture and emotions architect in the world of ai the human resources function can play a pivotal role in driving organizational culture in partnership with the business the reinvention of the 70-20-10 model was also quite insightful. Until next time, I hope this episode helped you reflect on how key behaviors can drive cultural transformation and the critical role leaders can play in role modeling these very behaviors. <laughs>